Good day and welcome to another edition of Colin on Cars where I muse and mutter about all manner of things automotive. The South African Guild of Motoring Journalists, of which I'm a proud member, was recently asked if its members would assist a final year student from the University of the Free State with a survey as part of his thesis. Always happy to help with these kind of things, I completed the set of questions that were about the readiness of the South African motor manufacturers to adapt and indeed welcome change. South African auto manufacturers are the second largest employer after mining in the country and contribute massively towards the direct economy to say nothing about their huge socio-economic programs that run in parallel to the core business of building cars and buckies. From tiny beginnings in Port Elizabeth just post-World War II, the industry has grown and spread across the country to East London, Durban and Roslyn just outside of Pretoria. Over the years, it has been forced to adapt and change to suit particular times. Mostly wholly owned South African companies manufacturing under license, especially through the grim apartheid years. Ford and Mazda became Sigma Motor Corporation, General Motors became Delta, and while they retained the names Toyota and Volkswagen, both were still very much South African. BMW, as the first manufacturing plant outside of Germany, always had a direct connection with its parent and was always headed up by a BMW-appointed CEO, whereas the others were run by South African motormen. Innovators such as Albert Vessels and later his son Bert at Toyota, Peter Whitfield at Nissan and Peter Searle at Volkswagen. Post-1994 and the first democratic elections, the scenario changed quite dramatically with a move by Toyota, Volkswagen, Ford and so on to buy up the shares in those companies and to make them part of the global family. This also saw the local factories changing their role from multiple product lines to specialised production for global export. Mercedes-Benz got the C-Class contract, BMW the 3 Series, Toyota built Hilux and so on. And this meant those companies investing many, many billions of rand into doing the upgrades needed to provide world-class manufacturing facilities. Much of the spread downward as well into the supplier chain as they too geared up for production to meet the new increasing demands. When BMW revamped its Roslyn factory to switch from the 3 Series manufacture to building the X3, it also created a state-of-the-art training facility that kind of highlights the adaptability of this industry in South Africa. In the section of the facility where learners were taught the intricacies of fitting the complex wiring and electronics for the X3, a separate section was created for something different. Since the majority of these learners come from previously disadvantaged backgrounds and communities, BMW included in the course a training package on wiring a residential home. So when they did get the chance to build their own homes, they were fully versed into doing the electricals themselves. However, it still astounds me the socialist-driven workers' unions still have not grasped the fact that philosophy has failed catastrophically wherever it's been implemented and regularly still down tools to make outrageous wage demands. Big and innovative as it is, the South African motor manufacturing industry is an extremely fragile entity and could be wiped out at the stroke of a boardroom pen in Tokyo, Detroit, Wolfsburg, Munich or wherever the relevant head office is located. The global industry really has no need of the small in volume terms, country at the pointy end of Africa. 
and the workers live with this weird belief. If Toyota were to pull out, for example, they could take over the prospecting factory and carry on producing cars. Seriously, never going to happen. However, getting back to adaptability. Shortly after completing the questionnaire, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced the sale of petrol and diesel-powered cars would be banned in the UK from 2030. That's just nine years away. Seeking greener pastures is not a sin, and it's something we as citizens of Earth have to do in order, literally, to stay alive. But the move towards full electrification of vehicles is still relatively in its infancy, with a number of issues that have to be addressed and overcome, not the least of which is the environmental impact of the actual production of the batteries that power these cars. Other issues such as public vehicle charging infrastructure have to be overcome along with the practical needs around hugely increasing the operating range of electric vehicles. And I fear not all of these will resolve in those nine years. While similar courses will be plotted by other countries, the manufacture of internal combustion engine or ICE vehicles is still going to be around for a while yet, which is obviously good news for South African automakers, but that too will probably change. Dr. Bladen Zamandi, Minister of Higher Education, Science and Innovation, has said, Our future, make it work. South Africa belongs to its entire people and the future of our country is our collective future. Making it work is our collective responsibility. All South Africans seek a better future for themselves and their children. To on right. South Africa's high level of unemployment is nothing new, but the cataclysmic effect of COVID-19 has had on the local industry has made skills development interventions even more imperative. Skills shortages are intensifying an already dire situation and the mismatch between businesses' evolving demands and the skills furnished by education systems and or insufficient numbers of people trained in the high demand skills are now clearly evident. As the world tries to understand what skills and innovations would be required to successfully drive the fourth industrial revolution, South Africa must make specialized technical skills in fields such as electronics, coding, robotics, artificial intelligence, and cloud computing more appetizing to use. A rapid move towards a digital first economy means the majority of today's students will one day work in a job that doesn't yet exist. So it is imperative that today's training and education offer a head start for tomorrow. It's quite natural for companies to reduce expenditure in a severely depressed economy, and in so doing, employee training is often among the first to receive reduced allocation. While this is an understandable approach in the current environment, skills development should be at the top of the list for reintroduction as soon as business stability returns. Gary McCraw, director of the National Automobile Dealers Association, says although the job market might be depressed for the moment, staff retention should be front of mind for all companies. Cyclical business trends mean opportunities are around the corner and an already stunted business could be completely crippled by the loss of specialized employee as the economy improves. New opportunities open up and recruitment from competitors erodes the talent pool. And that is where the adaptability of the South African auto industry will be tested moving into the next decade. Thanks for listening and please check out my website www.colinoncars.com Stay safe and please 
wear a mask. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.